0: Why is this night different than all the other nights? Tell me, Grandma Phyllis.
1: Well, for me personally, this is the first time that I will be celebrating Passover night sitting in a radio station talking about a Passover Seder instead of presiding at one. (laughs)
0: Um, And also, this is our very first Passover together.
1: Yes, and that is probably the most exciting thing of all and probably the reason why I accepted your invitation. This is, after all of these many 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 years, our first Seder together. And i had been
0: looking forward to that, so when I realized that Radio Free Culture was lining up with Passover evening with my grandma, I figured why not bring it into the WFMU studios. Um, Radio Free Culture is a program you hear here where we present stories about the intersections between music, copyright, culture, technology, and tonight we're mixing in a little, little a little bitter, some yummy uh, candies. We have all sorts of treats in the studio. What, what's
1: what's going on with the spread we have, Grandma? Oh well, there is the traditional seder plate, which I remember buying myself when I was just engaged, in 1951. I've used the same seder plate, and on it are symbols of the holiday. It's not the the symbols themselves. It's the requirement to tell the story of why we have the symbols. Uh, It's the story of freedom, personal freedom, religious freedom. And on the plate, which of course the radio audience cannot see, are the different symbols uh, of the holiday. And the bitterness, the sweetness, the mortar, the that we used, the Israelites used when they were building their temples, the Egyptian temples, I should say, and pyramids. And uh, it's just a reminder of how far we've come. And when we look at the small cup of wine here, it's a reminder that there are people who do not still have the freedom to practice their religion, to to drink their cup of wine, to uh, have their piece of matzah, which is unleavened bread, and which I personally believe is not really unique to the Passover, to the running away. I think that's how they made their bread.
0: Huh. We, we were, um, well, Passover will be a funny thing for us to munch on on the air, so we might, we might not do that. But if you could pass a little piece over here. <laughs>
1: Okay, let's
0: see if you can catch <laughs> the crunch. <laughs> um, do you, after all these years, Grandma? Do you still like matzah? Uh,
1: for about the first day, and uh, it, it, matzah is a challenge because everything that we cook or bake is based on this piece of hard flour and water thing that has to be prepared and cooked within twelve minutes, I believe. Uh, so that there's no possibility that it would have uh, fermented and risen at all. Uh, it it gets ground down to something very fine like flour that we use to make cakes and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of ingenuity, I must say. Uh, Matzah can really challenge you. You can make like a French bread, a French toast from this. You can make pancakes from it, sponge cake. Uh, you can use it as an ingredient uh, in that rather delicious potato kugel that I I made this year. And oh, it's incredible. By the way, most of it is up at Maddie's house, who very kindly let me out of the invitation to dinner tonight. Grandma was house.
0: invited to a real <laughs> Seder, <laughs> and I made her come to New Jersey
1: instead. <laughs> so anyhow, let, let, I yeah. don't know if you can catch the crunch, but I'm going to take a bite of my stuff, my uh, charosis and piece of matza. I hope I don't choke on this. No, no, <laughs> no. Just take
0: your time. Um, I just, I love the idea. Can you hear it? Th- of course. Okay, good. <laughs> I just, I love this idea of, of kind of these symbolic things that you bring with you and, and I also love how in the Jewish tradition they've added things on to those, to that spread. Um, we were talking about the cup of Miriam before the show.
1: Oh, yes. Miriam was the one who found her brother, Moses, in that little willow basket floating down the Nile. A lot of complications and twists and turns to the story that nobody's ever gonna know. They, they didn't exactly keep historical data then. But anyhow, she kind of always watched out for him, and during the Exodus, her name doesn't really get mentioned very much or at all, and I never heard it, but Oh, within the last 10 years, uh, it was Miriam, they tell us, who enabled the Israelites to survive 40 years in the desert. She was the water diviner. Hmm. They were able to sustain themselves and, and, and regenerate a whole uh, new like a civilization of free men because the slaves in Israel weren't really ready to assume uh, the responsibility for their own selves and their uh, their behaviors. They had to grow a whole new generation out there, but it was her water divining that did it. So uh, the, the feminist movement within the, uh, the, there's so many groups of Jews, but um, the women where they have a voice uh, I'm picking up the cup now. We have a cup, the fifth cup. We drink four cups of wine, and then there is the fifth cup, which is water. Hmm. Because she found the water to sustain them so that this culture and civilization could flourish as it has.
0: Hmm. Um That's lovely. We were also talking, um, something I found pretty incredible was um, your memories as a child of of Passover's past. Um, You grew up in East New York, which if people say Bushwick is the next Williamsburg, East New York is Williamsburg 2050, I say. It's way, way out there. But um, it's a lovely community with, you know, starting its own urban gardens that I've visited. It's a really special
1: place. And it's where you grew up. Yeah. It is. And it was fascinating that last year, I went back for the first time in how many years? Uh, We left when I was 14. And last year, I was 82. Wow. Anyhow, I went back with some friends. And it was with some trepidation, actually, because I knew what how, how badly the community had descended. And it's it does have its little oases and terrible pockets of poverty and destruction. If you really want to film a, uh, a post-war apocalyptic thing, all you have to do is go to certain blocks oh. on uh, in East New York.
0: I don't know. It looked pretty nice when I was there. I mean, it, it, no, was no, no. it was residential. Was it was not dangerous.
1: The area you saw... Right. That little pocket around Bradford but, but Street. But so
0: let's go back seven, 60, 70 years. Back then, you guys grew wine in your backyards, and that wine was used. Well, we
1: didn't grow the wine. They grew the grapes. You grates. grew the grapes <laughs> 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 to
0: make the wine. And you, um, you would go pick out a chicken with your mom, and then you guys would kill it there. It was local food the way local food we think of
1: used to be. Oh, it was an amazing place. Uh, the smells and the tastes were just wonderful. Blake Avenue in particular was the uh, the market street for the poorer people. Uh, there were push carts lined up along the avenue on both sides, and then there were the shops. And when you oh, something
0: else you told me is that, um, yeah. is that the women would follow around the
1: horses as they went down that main road. No, no, no. That was the, that was the side streets. Uh, that was <laughs> the farmers from Queens who mm-hmm. used to bring their, their produce in the, the right season. I mean, you didn't get lettuce in January. But when the tomatoes and the cucumbers and the peppers and everything and the eggplants were ripe, the farmers would come with their horses down the residential streets, not the market streets. Okay. And my grandma would be sitting out front, and then when the horses did what horses do, um, they would argue with each other over who saw it drop first, so that <laughs> they could go out, collect it, and dig it into their backyard garden where they grew the tomatoes. The Italians grew the tomatoes and, and, and the grapes, and the Jews grew the tomatoes and the grapes as well, (laughs) and uh, helped along a lot by Mother Nature. Uh, And I used to see these things and uh, marvel at them. And and going on the, the streets into the different stores, the smells were just amazing. I'd watch my grandmother and my mother pick out herring fillets from great, big smelly barrels and take them home and and get them into a pickling brine and uh wait until that was done and it was wonderful and pickles oh my goodness the half sour pickles in the barrel also for a nickel a pickle <laughs>
0: and uh, and and there was a lot of preparing that would go into passover a lot oh of
1: passover oh gosh that was that was a big deal thing um You had to house clean when it wasn't quite as easy as it is today. The the devices didn't exist. The cleaning materials didn't exist. Everything had to be cleaned. Every carpet, uh, they would take the big woven carpets out and hang them on a line and beat them with carpet beaters because they didn't have vacuum cleaners. Hmm. And uh, every vestige of any possible crumb of anything called komets, anything that was eaten uh, 51 weeks out of the year. That had to be gone and cleaned, and the fresh, everything got brought in and and cooked. It was a big deal, and it was family time because after you went to all this effort, you had the whole family. I remember uh, Seder tables that went The full length of the living room, and uh, sometimes uh, extending with the card tables into the dining, into the living room. And it was, and we kids, sometimes it was the only time in the year I saw some of my cousins. Hmm. And then we would get little sips of grandma's raisin wine. Uh, Raisin uh, wine. Yeah, yeah. She fermented the stuff in the basement. Uh, Using raisins instead of fresh grapes? Muscat raisins. Huh. That we got into Grandpa's car that got cranked in the front uh, to start the motor. And we would go chugging down to Atlantic Avenue, which always was the uh, the Arab section in Brooklyn. And they'd buy a big, I'm, I'm showing you this big box full of muscat raisins and then they took them home and grandma did something and this stuff would ferment and it would come out like a a tan color not the color of red wine or white wine and it had a little fizz on it and generally We kids got hold of it. You know, we sipped from our parents, and they'd let us have a little bit. By the end of the evening, half of us would be asleep under the table. We'd really be tossed out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, I want to
0: try this now. Well, you know, you're here to join me for kind of a listening party, so let's move on to our our first piece. Have you ever heard the song, uh, it's called Baby Got Back by Sir Mix-A-Lot? Probably not. Okay. Well, the chorus goes, I like big butts and I cannot lie. And it's a really, it's a great, you know, 90s classic. And uh, it was covered by this, I like, I think of him as a nerd king. This artist, uh, Jonathan Colton, Google him. You've probably heard him on public radio all the time. And his cover, uh, something interesting happened with it. And we're going to have him tell you that story. It's it's an interesting story. Yeah, I I look forward to hearing it. Okay, and then we'll be, we're will be. we going to, meanwhile, we're going to snack on some of this delicious potato kugel. We're going to eat some of the herosis. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to keep posting pictures to the WFMU playlist page for Radio Free Culture. You can see uh, Grandma taking a bite of horseradish. You can see us down in the WFMU kitchen with the entire spread. So um, check that out and enjoy. Here's Jonathan Colton.
2: When I first left my day job... To pursue music full-time, I began a project called Thing A Week, where I would release a new song every Friday. And in the first four weeks, I used up the only four ideas that I had in my head. Week five, uh, out of desperation, decided to do a cover song. And the cover song I chose was Sir Mix-a-Lot's Baby Got Back.
3: I like big butts and I cannot lie. You other brothers can't deny. That when a girl walks in with an itty-bitty and around thing- in your face, you get sprung.
2: You know, a lot of people say, oh, that's just a misogynistic, you know, goofball rap song, but I think there's actually quite a bit more to unpack there.
4: My whole to me, but that
2: butt you got when I did the cover, I decided that it would be sort of a sensitive, folky white guy version, maybe referencing the historical precedent of white artists stealing music from black culture and uh not really understanding it as they were doing it
4: I like big butts and I cannot lie you are the brother's can't deny-
2: I enjoy covers that change the nature of the song. It's more interesting when you can find a different, different take on the song. Uh, something that was harder to see the first time around. My intent in doing that song is that it's not that Sir Mix-a-Lot is the clown; it's that I am the clown. I, I am the guy who doesn't get it. Take the average black man and ask him that She gotta pack much back So fellas, fellas as you go, And that song, uh, you know, much to my surprise overnight Became a, an often forwarded link uh, And a lot of people came to my website to hear it So then eight years later, I'm checking my Twitter feed In the morning, as I usually do, to see what people are saying about me and uh, somebody, somebody said, hey, congratulations. I hear they're using your version of Baby Got Back on Glee. <laughs> That's great news. And uh, there was a link to a, a video. You know, uh, people send me this kind of stuff all the time. Oh, so-and-so is using your this, or this song sounds like your song. And I often I go and listen, and it's like, no, it doesn't. No, they're not, you know. So I didn't know. I didn't really expect anything. Um, but when I got there and played the video, it was just a still frame of the Glee logo. And the song that played was uh, almost note for note, my version of Baby Got Back, although with different singers.
4: I like big butts and I cannot lie, you other brothers can't deny, when a girl walks in with a nitty-bitty waist and a round thing in your face, you get sprung, you want to pull up tough, you notice that butt was stuffed, deep
2: in the jeans... Gene... And it was so startling, and it sounded so much like my version that I was I was shocked. I was shocked and stunned because nobody had contacted me. It was just crazy. So I immediately, <laughs> you know, the first thing I did was I called my lawyers uh, and asked them to get back to me right away so we could figure out what was going on. And the second thing I did was go to Twitter and complain about it.
4: Shake that healthy bud. Baby
2: Seeing that song on that show, of just knowing that it was going to be on that show made me very angry because uh it's not it's not that hard to get in touch with somebody and let them know you're gonna do that, and it's also not that hard to give somebody credit uh, when you're using their ideas. The thing that most bothers me is the well I guess it's two things there's the 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 injustice of them essentially using my work and passing it off as their own um, because they did not ever credit me in any way and nor have they publicly even admitted that it's my arrangement but it clearly is moreover i think the thing that offends me more is just the stupidity of their policy and this is clearly a decision that they have made clearly a group of people have thought about the best way to approach this kind of thing and have determined that this is the best way to do it in secret and without crediting anybody uh, and without acknowledging that they're using somebody else's idea because they've done it to other artists in the past uh, and it played out the same way. I came home in the middle of
4: the night My father says, are it going to do with your life? Well, daddy dear, you're still number All oh, girls, they want to have fun
2: Greg Laswell is a, uh, another artist that this has happened to. He, um, he recorded a, uh, a cover of uh, Girls Just Want to Have Fun by Cyndi Lauper, and he did a slow, sad piano version, which is piano and vocal, uh, and it's you know it's beautiful and it does that thing where it, t- it takes this uh, uh, it takes this '80s pop song that we all remember as a, being a fun goofy romp through the '80s, and uh, just by resetting it makes it uh, a really poignant um, uh, emotional song, and it's a very successful cover. And 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 uh, Glee used exactly that arrangement.
4: So they really want. those girls those girls they wanna
2: uh they didn't credit him. It was a surprise. They never acknowledged publicly that they had done it. Um, he had lawyers talk to them, but couldn't couldn't get very far. Another example is uh, Petra Hayden um, had a uh, a cappella version of Journey's Don't Stop Believing, which was used in the very first episode of Glee.
5: She took the midnight train going anywhere.
2: The interesting thing is that on the internet, we understand that when you borrow somebody's idea. Uh, it 's important to give that person credit uh, it 's just it 's just a natural thing that we do here on the internet um, but in in hollywood it doesn 't i don 't know it doesn 't work that way they don 't think that way When I released my cover of baby got back i uh, I purchased a license through Harry Fox, which is a company uh that uh administers uh mechanical rights uh basically there 's a there 's a compulsory license uh, in the U.S. Copyright Code, uh, where it allows any artist to do a new arrangement of an existing song uh, without having to seek permission, uh, provided they alert the owner of that song and pay them a royalty. Uh, and Harry Fox is a company that lets you uh, purchase that kind of license uh, with your credit card through their website. So um, I bought that license because I was covering Sir mix a song. I paid Sir Mix-a-Lot royalties on, on sales of that song uh, and the the loophole, that's not really a loophole, it's just its part of the copyright code, section 115 of the copyright code says, in explaining this compulsory license, says that um, in exchange for, essentially in exchange for this being a, an easy license to get, where you don't have to get permission, um, you can just do it, uh, in exchange, the arrangement itself is not protected. So it is assumed that in doing this, you are not creating a new derivative work that has its own New copyright. You're not creating any new intellectual property. Because if, if, if that happened, then it would be a situation where it was a, a, a shared authorship, where Mixalot would own part of it and I would own part of it. And there's no reason why the US Copyright Code would want me to force Mixalot to enter into a shared intellectual property situation with me. The, the short answer is that when you do a cover song and you obtain a compulsory license to do that, uh, the arrangement itself is not covered. Uh, by any copyright, which means that anyone is free to do that arrangement, uh, provided they, you know, they still have to pay uh, Mix-a-Lot his royalties, because, of course, the song still belongs to him, but the arrangement doesn't belong to anybody. From things that they said as this was going on, it was clear to me that they were not interested in, uh, in bending in any way. Uh, I didn't think there was going to be any quick and obvious legal resolution to this, Uh, So I did what I could, you know, I, I, um, I, I, uh, as a sort of protest and uh, uh, an attempt to um, uh, turn all these negative feelings that I was having into something positive, you know, because I'm not a huge fan of people going out on the internet and, and commanding their army of fans to burn stuff down. I, I think that's sort of a misuse of, Of social media. So I didn't want to do that. Uh, and instead what I did was I took my original recording of Baby Got Back, made a copy of it, renamed it Baby Got Back in the style of Glee and, uh, posted it on iTunes as a single and let everybody know that I was going to give all proceeds from the sale of that track to charities, to the It Gets Better Foundation, uh, and to the VH1 Save the Music Foundation. Two causes that I think are pretty well in line with, uh, uh, the spirit of the show Glee and 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 the fans that love it, immediately that that song started uh, climbing the t- charts in iTunes, and much to my delight, within a, a day or two had had passed the Glee version, uh, and uh, you know even cracked the top hundred, top one hundred singles. I you know it's probably my most successful single on iTunes ever. The main takeaway for me is the uh, increasingly obvious. Uh, disconnect between Hollywood culture and internet culture. Uh, I won't name names, but somebody affiliated with Glee uh, was quoted as saying at a music conference, he's surprised that artists are even paid to have their music placed on TV shows. And in fact, he thinks the artists should be paying the TV shows. And it's an absurd thing to say. And to me, it points to a kind of arrogance that Hollywood has about how important their piece of the entertainment puzzle is. And it is just a piece. Uh, increasingly, the world of entertainment that we consume is on the Internet and has nothing to do with Hollywood or with television. So, um, you know, I think I'm a, I'm a good example of somebody whose business depends in no way on the existence of Hollywood or uh, even on the existence of, of channels that offer the kind of massive, unfocused beam of exposure that is television. You know, that show Glee is watched by, I don't know how many millions of people every week. But I don't need, <laughs> I don't need that to make a living. I'm already making a living without that kind of exposure. And so, uh, you know, the idea that that I would want to pay for that kind of exposure is patently absurd. Of course, the internet delights in in uh, uh, metatextual stuff. So, uh, you know, when I do a cover of Baby Got Back, that's one level. And then when Glee does their secret cover of my cover, that's another level. And then when I do a cover of their cover of my cover of Sir mix that's another level. And then when Hodgman, when John Hodgman in order to honor me does his own cover of my cover of their cover of my cover of mixalots song uh it's uh yeah we're sort of uh, we go a little bit a little bit deeper down the rabbit hole and the joke becomes a little bit harder to explain and <laughs> and a little bit harder to understand and uh and that i think is the very essence of internet culture and you know i'm i'm always thrilled when that sort of thing happens because it's it's fun it's fun to ride that rabbit hole all the way down.
3: This is a new song that I that I wrote myself. Wow. I like big butts. <laughs> and I cannot lie. You other brothers can't deny when a girl walks in with an itty-bitty waist and a round thing in your face. You get sprung and you want to pull up tough. You notice that that butt was stuffed. Deep in the jeans she's wearing I'm hooked and I can't stop staring I'm tired of magazines Saying flat butts are the thing Ask your average Glee fan (laughs) Take your average Glee fan And ask him that She's got to pack much back So fellas Yeah Fellas Yeah
4: Has your girlfriend got the butt Tell you shake it, shake it, shake that healthy body. Baby, God bad.
3: Baby, God bad. Booty 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 booty, 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 booty. booty. Just, boo, boo, skitty, do that, beady, be, do that, beady, pop. Well, hi, Jonathan. <laughs> I should be glad for the exposure, frankly.
0: <laughs> so, Grandma, what do you think of uh, the song "Baby Got Back"?
1: <laughs> well, I'm fascinated by the by the big butt. Uh, uh, part of me could qualify for that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it might be in in the family. I'm not sure.
1: <laughs> I don't wanna say too much, uh, but everything else is kind of saggy, baggy. <laughs> But what a story that is! Uh, see, I am not really deep into the internet and the culture and all that. Uh, I can barely hack out a uh, an email and.
0: Uh, oh shush! <laughs> you're you're on Facebook. You write on your computer every day. You can play bridge online. You are the most savvy grandma anyone
1: has. Oh no! She's been uh,
0: promoting this <laughs> show all week on Facebook. So <laughs> so shout out to all Grandma Phyllis's <laughs> Facebook friends. You're listening to um, Radio Free Culture. I'm Andrea from the Free Music Archive, and we just listened to Jonathan Colton kind of retelling what's been called Backgate. Look it up. There's some really interesting articles about what went down, and a lot of his fans went on to make their own mixes, kind of highlighting the ways his arrangement might have been used or was allegedly used by Glee. It's um,
1: outrageous that he didn't get compensated or acknowledged. Yeah, it's all it's in
0: Creative Commons. It's all about. Um, Attribution—it's like the heart of Creative Commons, which is—I I could explain Creative Commons to you for a while. But but he re- releases all of his music using a Creative Commons license, so the heart of what he does is about attribution. Um, and he—I like what I like what he said about Hollywood culture being different than internet culture. It was really interesting.
1: Well, they are—they are a breed apart.
0: Uh, why are you in the studio with me for Radio Free Culture again, Grandma? What are we doing here? Why is tonight different than all the other nights?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, it's a very different night, and uh, I, I must say, I'm quite enjoying it and learning a lot too. But uh, having to sit here and uh, describe things that we have and that we're doing to people who may not know, uh, there are people who don't know, and who've never had the privilege of being invited to a Seder. Um, That's right. We're doing a Passover st- Seder
0: here in the radio studios, and we have all the, we have the symbolic Seder plate, which you can see a picture of on our website. Um, we have the gummy candies.
1: Oh, dear. I, I, <laughs> when I was a little girl, uh-huh. that was the only candy that got served, and I thought it was served only at Passover time. And somebody would always bring it, and, and they would dole it out to the kids. And it was all these slices of lime and orange and uh, lemon. But I have to tell you, the stuff that I bought this year is dreadful. Oh, no. Oh, it all tastes like chemicals. It doesn't taste lime like the old stuff did, and lemon e like the other stuff did. That is getting tossed as soon as we're off the air.
0: Hmm. So, so you can, so they can't fool you with their food dyes and all their artificial flavors. Oh no, it's it just doesn't match the candy of your year. See, and
1: and and I really don't know what they did then because there the the quantity of permissible things at Passover was very limited. Now you can go into a supermarket and they can have aisles full of stuff. They even have breakfast cereals that look like, uh, I hate to maybe uh, whatever, but Watch they, look language. Like, they look like Cheerios. Oh, okay. uh, I, I was just wondering about using a brand name. Oh, you can. Uh, other than that, I'm being a good girl. <laughs> but there were so many things uh, that that are available today. And it doesn't make this week special the way it was in those days when we were very limited as to what we could eat, and uh, it was wonderful eating it. And if you survived the week without dying of either constipation or diarrhea,
0: wait, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you were telling me before it says it's either one or the other when you're eating o- when you when you cut out all the unleavened yes. bread and eat a yeah. ton of matzah.
1: That seems to be the way it was with my family, and uh, I've heard rumors that it's that way with many people. So it's a week of some privation and uh, problems. (laughs) But just think about those poor Israelites in the desert for all those years, where maybe all they did have to eat was this Bread the flour and water kind of thing. Although where they got the flour from, I don't know either. They were in the desert. I don't know. Where would they grow the wheat? I don't know. Neither so do you,
0: I. speak speaking of uh take, taking us into the desert, um you had some great Moses jokes. Jokes about those forty years that Moses and his people
1: were wandering in the desert. No, I don't have some. I have two. Two. And they get retold every year. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay Why did Moses and the tribes Wander for 40 years In the Sinai Desert It wasn't that big I don't know why Because he was too proud To ask directions Alright <laughs> You ready great. for the next
0: one Hold on That's your applause Oh thank
1: you Um. So and, uh, go on And the next one isn't really a joke It's kind of a musing kind of thing Not amusing But you 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 sit and you wonder about things That if he hadn't turned right And if he'd gone left instead We'd have had the oil
0: You mean like we Instead of the Arab nations yeah. We meaning people in yeah, Israel yeah. yeah right that's
1: what I mean
0: Oh Okay, I don't know. that's really funny. I like that. Ha! Huh. Do you think
1: most do you think most people know those jokes or those common jokes that you hear every year? I I think so. That it it's almost in the along with the tradition of asking the four questions, uh, somebody is going to come up with this joke, mm-hmm. and they're coming up with some very clever stuff. Some stuff came across the internet that was kind of cute and. Uh, um, I haven't seen any new recipes, though. Yeah, um,
0: as as everyone, as uh, the Jewish grandma to everyone at WFMU and everyone within the WFMU family, um, I have a question for you from uh, Ken from Hyde Park. He said he saw a headline today on the NBC News website saying, "Shocking new research shows Holocaust even worse than thought." Um, I saw that article in the the Times recently. Also, have you followed this this report?
1: Frankly, I find it painful, because I lived through those years. I heard the stories. I met survivors. And I have always known, absolutely known, that there were more victims. Than were ever ever reported, despite the German predilection for such precision, for for, for tattooing their people and 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 uh, all their record keeping, it's it's all phony. It, it was beyond description. I, I remember sitting in the movies and watching the uh, the movie tone thing, and they'd show the survivors. I could also tell you kind of an interesting story of what happened to me once on a cruise but I don't know how much time we have
0: um not enough not but, enough but I will during our next segment I will transcribe your cruise story for our playlist page so people can learn it that way yeah it was a very interesting cruise so, so basically you're saying that anyone who, who's part of a Jewish community who grew up in the times knows it's worse than everyone thought it's already an, an understood thing within the, the community and the culture um when when it's Passover like Passover starting at sundown tonight um what do you say to people is there like a Passover greeting like hey happy Passover
1: Well mostly I hope you can get through it <laughs> is one of the sentences it's never really uh, the uh, the correct salutation is Chag <laughs> uh, which I I'm think means good that. luck or something like that I'm okay. not sure but um Mostly, it's it's have a good seder, have a wonderful seder, and and people know that it's often reunion time with family, and mm. uh, it's a it's a very sweet time, and it's a bittersweet time when you remember the people with whom you can no longer have a face to face reunion. Hmm. Some day there'll be one monumental seder in the sky or wherever.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I. I that's, that's a lovely thought. Well, in our next story, we're going to be talking about the, the birthday song. Um, and the greeting on your birthday is happy birthday to you. And we have our, our traditional birthday song. This is a conversation I had with Andrew Leland. He's the editor of Believer Magazine. And he's also the host of a new podcast coming out from um, Believer and uh, RW that's the numbers KCRW Um, it's a co-production new brand new podcast go subscribe now if you're a podcast lover Um, and this was in their most recent episode and it talks about a contest that the Free Music Archive recently held with WFMU looking for the next great birthday song so here's my conversation with Andrew for the organist and when we return grandma and I will finish up our radio Passover Seder so glad you're here I am too
3: Everybody knows the birthday song, but strangely, you will never hear the birthday song in any form of popular media. It's not in films. You won't hear it when characters are celebrating birthdays on TV. And the reason for that is that the song is under copyright and subject to licensing fees.
0: The rights to Happy Birthday to You are owned by the Time Warner Company, and they bring in about $2 million a year from the song.
3: I'm talking to Andrea Salenzi. From the Free Music Archive, which is a curated library of free music based at the excellent freeform radio station WFMU in Jersey City.
0: The full history of Happy Birthday to You is complicated, but basically, around 1893, two Kentucky kindergarten teachers, the esteemed Hill Sisters, came up with a song to greet their students in the morning. That's Good Morning to All. It sounds like.
3: It sounds more or less identical to Happy Birthday to You.
0: Because it is. After the Hill sisters published their song in one of those old-timey school books, somebody started using it as a birthday song. And then 40 years later, which I imagine used to be the amount of time it took for something to go a little viral, it started showing up in popular culture. It was used in the very first Singing Telegram in 1933. It was used in an Irving Berlin musical. And that's when the kid sister to the Hill sisters, Jessica Hill, saw an opportunity. She was able to demonstrate, with help from a lawyer, some undeniable similarities between the two songs. And then she took home the copyright for Happy Birthday to You in 1935.
3: So how did the song get from this youngest Hill sister into Time Warner's portfolio?
0: Well, she was working with a music publishing company to do all this. And that company eventually became the wholly owned subsidiary of Warner Music. So now when ASCAP collects royalties for the performance of the birthday song, that goes to Time Warner. And that's why it can cost about ten grand to use the song in your film. And that's also why sometimes you'll be watching a show like Futurama, and you'll hear this.
4: What day is today? It's Nibbler's birthday. What a day for a birthday. Let's all have some cake.
3: Aside from TV show sitcom birthday parties, though, is this a serious problem that films face that they can't include the birthday song, and so the film is compromised in some way?
0: The most notable example of this is in the documentary Eyes on the Prize from the 80s. They have a scene in there where Martin Luther King Jr. is being sung to on his birthday. It's his last birthday. Some
4: folks celebrate Abraham Lincoln, but we're going to celebrate Luther King's day today. Don't let him out of here. Happy birthday
0: to you. And because they kept that scene in, the film was literally pulled off the shelves. It wasn't shown on TV or released on DVD for over a decade.
3: All of this inspired you and the Free Music Archive to put together this contest. Tell me about your contest.
0: Yeah, well, we saw that there were only two options. You either go to court to challenge the copyright or you find a new song. So we took on the fool's challenge of trying to dethrone the birthday song.
3: Tell me about some of these songs. Let's hear some of the songs you got.
0: You know, a lot of them were what you'd expect. Cute kids singing.
4: Birthday, 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 birthday. What a surprise, what a surprise.
0: We also got a lot of very charming international submissions.
4: Congratulations to the sweetheart.
0: And there are a few in there that I found just incredibly touching. Like this one. Imagine all your friends just around you singing it.
4: Let the truth be told. You're 50 years old. Let the truth be told. You're 50 years old. You are alive, like it or not. This is your life. Do what you want. Let the truth
3: be told. These are great. I want to hear more. Well,
0: actually, a lot of the entries were just really good songs, but would be really difficult to memorize. Cells are still dividing
1: to replace any cells that you've lost. You're smart and you're alive and you can take your prescriptions
4: as much as you need them, not more than you need them. Not so you OD on them.
3: I actually think I will consider singing that to the next birthday celebrating person I encounter. That's that's solid.
0: Um, That one might, might be a little tricky to learn, but this this is the one that I want to sing to people. I've been calling it the birthday song that America's just not ready for.
5: I hope you have a powerful birthday. A powerful birthday. i am going to come. I've going to come. I've gotta come. I've gotta come. Ooh, will there be wieners? Are we gonna eat them?
3: I'm
5: gonna eat them.
3: Yeah, actually, you're right. I think that's them. gonna be the one I'll be singing. So, who won?
0: Our winner was Monk Turner, who performed the song with his regular collaborator, Alana Lynn, who goes by the name Fascinoma.
3: You know, I really enjoy writing
5: music with her, and I think she feels the same. Hopefully she feels the same. I think I almost killed him a few times. So she's kind of like the John Lennon, and I'm kind of like the Paul
2: McCartney. I tend to do more, like, very pop-friendly stuff.
5: He's got a great, upbeat, high-energy personality. I'm prone to melancholy, so then I think the combination ends up being better than the two different things just on their own.
0: When they sat down to write the song, they realized that they needed to come up with some kind of guidelines for themselves. First of all, length.
5: I actually went
2: and timed the original Happy Birthday, depending on the the singers, between about 30 seconds and 45 seconds.
0: Then they needed a memorable melody.
2: A melody that would be very easy for people to sing and sing out of tune.
0: (laughs) And one more thing.
2: One of the music that I was going to be backing it up to be kind of
3: cool. Yeah, so let's, let's hear it now. The, this is the winning entry selected by the Free Music Archive and their panel of judges. This is It's Your Birthday by Monk Turner and Fasinoma.
4: It's your birthday. Happy birthday. It's your birthday.
3: I mean, that's undeniably a catchy tune. It kind of makes me want to buy a whole bunch of tablet computers immediately. They hit the criteria i could I could hear a room full of people singing it i could it's I already have memorized it, having heard it only once, but there's no place for us to put your name. I mean that's the most important part of the birthday song, right?
0: Oh yeah. How important is inserting the name? I don't know.
3: The most important part, as far as I'm concerned, you know, because that's the part that you really, it's like, it's the climax of the song. Happy birthday, dear Salenzi, you know, and everybody, Huh. yeah. And so I have to ask, are you confident that, that you can, that you can do this, that you can topple the 1833 classic with this new tune?
4: Of course
0: not. That's, I mean, that was not the point of the contest. I mean, it's obviously to start a conversation. Like, it gets you thinking, right? Like, how important is this one piece of music? Happy Birthday might have been the very first song I ever learned. And I've sung it to everyone I've ever loved. But you have to pay a corporation just to use it. And then you start to think, oh, right, this isn't a rare thing in our culture at all. Like, think of how many times you put Mickey Mouse ears on something. That's Disney's. They could charge you for it. And Apple has a patent on a square with rounded corners. And Cadbury owns like a very special color of purple.
3: So what point does Happy Birthday to You stop costing $10,000 and become available to people to use again?
0: People say 2030, but there are also a lot of fearful people who say that the copyright will just get extended and extended and extended. Because when it comes down to these kinds of intellectual property cases, it always ends up being who has the most lawyers. So it's hard to know if Happy Birthday will ever reenter the public domain. So what do we have? We have this new song. (laughs) And we're looking for people to use it somehow.
3: So if you don't have a lot of lawyers, listeners, rather than include the the traditional birthday song in your film, I urge you to consider Monk Turner and Fascinoma's It's Your Birthday instead and pay not a dime.
0: If you, if you can use it somehow we'll send you the sheet music we'll send you a cd and we want to help facilitate this kind of use
3: i think it's a noble project thanks for telling us about it andrea my pleasure the alternative birthday songs we heard today on the podcast were by ej greenberg putzer alan Riley, and fran Agnoni, as well as Romy stott and team steam and they're all free downloads creative commons friendly remixable at will at freemusicarchive.org
0: it's your birthday. So grandma birthday. what do you think of our new birthday song? I
1: wanna hear it sung on my birthday. It's your birthday. Oh you need to say that into your microphone. <laughs> oh, excuse me. I, uh, I I was so fascinated listening to it. Remembering I've done it in sign language uh, for I don't know, since I became a teacher of the deaf when I was in my twenties, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh if I never heard it sung again, it would really be okay. And the fact that my name might be omitted from it, if you don't know my name by now, sweetheart, <laughs> we're in trouble anyhow.
0: But uh, It is true, to sh- it, but it is kind of fun to go, Happy birthday, Grandma Phyllis. It's fun. well
1: It's fun. Listen, sweetheart, as long as I know my name, <laughs> I still do. Uh this is really great. Uh one of my suggestions would be the greeting card companies that make these things that open and start singing at you the minute you oh, open yeah. it. Yeah. Uh they don't have your name on it.
0: That's true. We we should uh reach out to Hallmark. That should be my next my next step. I'll do that tomorrow, grandma.
1: I have a connection also. I've oh. got a friend in the business. Okay. So maybe uh maybe we'll call Jody and, and ask her about it. <laughs>
0: Now for anyone just tuning in, uh, you're listening to Radio Free Culture here on WFMU and I'm being ju- I'm joined by my grandma Phyllis for a special program and we just listened back to a conversation I had with Andrew Leland for The Organist. It's a new podcast from Believer Magazine and KCRW. And uh, we're going to be doing regular feet. I'm going to do a regular thing for them, like dispatches from the land of copyright law. And uh, you can download that new song at freemusicarchive.org and check out our entire free birthday song. Uh, repository. Quick side note for any free culture geeks out there. I woke up this morning to an email from Lawrence Lessig. He's kind of the the godfather to this movement. And uh, he was asking me if I could um, send him a link to the new birthday song for him to send to uh, Richard Stallman, who is this uh, open software pioneer. It's very insidery. But if you know what I'm talking about, your heart just started pounding a little and you feel very special. So um, that's my, my side note. But what, what I'm really here to talk about is Passover and uh, how I'm celebrating my first one here with my grandma in the,
1: the WFMU studios. Is it my turn to talk again? Of course,
0: always, <laughs> always. I really prefer it that way. Uh,
1: you made that comment before about the, uh, the victims of world war ii i was on a cruise with my girlfriend rhoda and we were seated at a table that had three couples the first couple was a german man and a friend the second couple well the the first guy he had been an officer in the luftwaffe during world war 2 and he was telling us his terrible plight after the war ended how he had to work and uh, as a as a an attendant in an american uh, compound and he was so desperate for food he was stealing food to feed his family and he's telling this to these two little jewish girls who really could not work up much empathy for him The next guy in line was a lieutenant colonel in the United States Army who liberated one of the uh, camps. Hmm. And he told us his stories of liberation and the horrors that were there. The next couple was a Japanese couple. He was an American citizen. I'm assuming she was, too. He had been sent from his family home in California before the war. war. To me, the war is only World War II. Uh, He was sent to Japan for further education, advanced education. So you've got an American-Japanese guy in Japan before the war, and he got drafted. Mm-hmm. And he was a kamikaze pilot obviously a failed kamikaze pilot because he <laughs> lived and yeah. i thought how many people would get to sit at a table with these three kinds of couples at us and we did not start world war 3 but i couldn't <laughs> i could not talk to that the german guy i could not i i just never could so that's just, does that music mean we're coming to a conclusion? Yeah, we're about to wrap well, up. may I wish any Jewish person who happened to be listening, maybe, and isn't yet at a Seder or is going to one later, or if you're not, chag sameach uh, to you. May you live to be 120 and know who you are and where you are.
0: Why are you getting choked up, Grandma?
1: Uh, because we were talking about the Holocaust <laughs> no just realizing that I won't make it to 120 either you know it's uh, but it's an old Jewish greeting and uh when I don't boy am I going to have a monumental Seder up there or down there wherever you told
0: me that heaven is in how people remember you and
1: or hell yeah,
0: yeah. or hell yeah um, but I, in my, in my world, you're going to be in heaven forever. I love you so much, Grandma.
1: I love you too, sweetheart.
0: This has been Radio Free Culture on WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, in Rockland County at 91.9 FM, and online at WFMU.org, where you can see some gorgeous photos of our Seder spread and my Grandma Phyllis. And some vines that I made. So, so check those out and stay tuned for Nardwar Human Serviette.
5: listening to WFMU, and it's time right now for the Nardwar the Human Serviette radio show. You just heard right there from Glasgow, Scotland, the Plimptons with Ocean Color Resurrection. And today on the Nardwar the Human Serviette radio show, an interview with Glasgow, Scotland's The Vaseline's. Plus, an interview with the Dumb Dumb Girls from San Diego. To prepare you for the Dumb Dumb Girls, I thought I would play some G.G. Allen. You hate me and I hate you. Plus, some Caro Don le ventre from Quebec. Canada 1971. So, coming up on WFMU, it's the Dum Dum Girls and the Vaseline's. Here's Gigi Allen.
4: Well, you hate me and I hate you. You never understand the things I say I do. You never liked me, so I say you. You know, you know that I you don't like me, like, I don't like you. You never listen to my point of view. I'm telling you, why don't you all drop dead, you f- fools? It's you who lose. You never wanted me, so I say you. You know you know that you don't 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 like me and I don't like you You know you know that you don't don't like me and I don't like you You know you know know that you don't like me and I don't like you You know you know that you don't like me so I say Comme dans un livre Dans le ventre d'une énorme baleine Je vais descendre Pour me détendre Dans le ventre d'une énorme baleine Si tu le veux Viens avec moi énorme baleine il fera chaud il fera